my dear friend, Steve Hoytman. I would like to thank everybody that's come out today. Everybody right now give a huge round of applause to the Shiptons for their trip. What's even crazier than the fact that two Australians were in the United States explaining to Americans how the First Amendment works is that their son and brother sits in an English prison for 23 and a half hours a day in solitary confinement because he published verifiably accurate information about the U.S. war machine, how it operates, and the significant waste, fraud, and abuse on top of the ceaseless slaughter of civilians the U.S. Empire engages in on a day-to-day basis. What Julian Assange, what WikiLeaks have done is allow us to view the world from primary sources instead of having multi-millionaires tell us how we suppose we need to think and feel about news that they do not want us to have access to. This is fundamentally ridiculous. This is at its core the the root of oppression, oppression, oppression. Welcome to A Conspiracy in the Force, the show where we examine parallel conspiracies in a galaxy far, far away, in a galaxy not so far away. The show is designed as an introduction to modern-day conspiracy theories by using Star Wars, one of the most beloved fictional universes, as a point of reference. Let's begin. Hey, Conspiracy Kyle here. If you like this podcast, please rate, subscribe, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It greatly helps out the show, and it's much appreciated. Also, please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Conspiracy underscore Kyle, and that's Conspiracy with a K. Also, follow me on YouTube at Conspiracy Kyle, once again, with a K. And also, now you can find me on the Rockfin Network at rockfin.com with new exclusive content. Now on to the show. I think we are all set here. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you everybody for tuning in to another episode of Conspiracy in the Force. My name is Conspiracy Kyle. For everybody, you know, watching on Rockfin, thank you so much for for tuning in. I really appreciate it. And, and also everybody uh, listening or watching after the fact. You know, it's um, I love I love doing this, so I'm I'm glad to get great feedback from people on these kind of shows. So, um, my my guest this evening is Mr. Steve Poikinen. How you doing, man? Hey, sorry about that. I was muted. I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. So um, if you could give give everybody a little bit of a rundown of, you know, yourself in, in the Slow News Day show that you've been doing. Sure. Uh, so I'm, I'm Steve. Uh, I've been involved in journalism and activism for most of my adult life. I, uh, in the last couple of years, got uh, heavily involved in the movement to free Julian Assange. Uh, we're going to get into a lot of that. Um, 
in 2018 uh, because uh, of Sam Tripoli and Ron Placone, I started Slow News Day, um, which is basically me having on smarter people than me and asking them questions, having a conversation. And, you know, the, because of that, uh, it, it, because of the particular guests that we've had on, we're now giving people their news about six to 12 months early and uh and having a lot of fun with it even though we you know do live in a sort of dystopian hellscape yeah you gotta you, you know at this point you gotta laugh about it you gotta joke about it you gotta find a way just to make it through every day you know and in talking about it and, and confronting it i think is is one of the ways you have to handle this stuff you can't just hide under a rock and act like oh at once this happens or this happens everything's going to be okay it's like no you have to face the harsh reality that we're kind of we're kind of in this you know in this as it is and you kind of got to just 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 make your way through it um interesting what you said there about you know getting people the information uh six to 12 months beforehand right that's what that's kind of like the running thing about you know when you're a quote-unquote conspiracy person is that you see these things happening and then once they're coming out in the news you're like told you it's it's um and, and even you know some things i was listening to your your show this morning and um, something that kind of blew my mind that I had, had didn't even cross my mind. You were talking about you know everything that happened at the Capitol, beginning of, you know in January, and then you mentioned that a few weeks beforehand, with some of those big infrastructure bills or what have you, they had a lot of of dollars in there for improvements to the Capitol. And you know you you already knew put two and two together that you know something was going to happen. And sure enough, a week later. Look what happened. Dude, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I want to say that it was December 28th, but don't don't quote me on that. It could have been a little bit before I, Donald Trump signed the the uh, coronavirus relief emergency relief package. It was the six hundred dollar stimulus checks. It was the one that he had initially vetoed and said, no, 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 no. It's got too much wasteful garbage in it. I am not going to put my name on it. I, Donald Trump, would sign different garbage. Yeah. And so uh, and so all of a sudden, I think it, it maybe a day, maybe uh, maybe like 36 hours, um, but not a lot of time passed. And he backtracked said, oh, we got to put the, the checks into people's hands. You know, people are hurting. You didn't care that the people were hurting 48 hours ago, but today they're hurting they're hurting so we got to sign the checks we got to get them out we got to sign the bill so he did and in it it was just short of 200 million dollars to repair both the interior and exterior of the capitol building replace anything that had got broken or damaged uh it, as i'm standing there on january 6th standing on the the capitol steps not from the side where the breach was but from the opposite side that faces the washington monument uh i it clicked it dawned on me like oh oh hey wait they they had that handled and then again as i said on the show this morning cory bush had the domestic terrorist legislation already written and ready to go she's a brand new congress critter kyle it's, it's not like she's adept at or has decades of experience with crafting legislation especially something as intricate 
thorough and complicated as domestic violent extremist legislation in the United States, where ostensibly we have a constitution, a number of different checks and balances in place to where something like sweeping domestic terror legislation would be, I don't know, a drawn out process. Right. And it's definitely, you know, you see that with obviously with gun control legislation, right? Every time a, every time a shooting happens, and I kind of have been looking at this over the past 10 years or so, that timeline of when that legislation is coming out, the window of that is like within days now. It used to be, you know, weeks, maybe months, but now it's like within a, a day or two, they got this lengthy legislation. I mean, and like you said, that's no short order. I mean, some of these are hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of pages long. And, you know, what you mentioned about, too, about the, uh, the, the bill for all the capital spending, you know, that's, in my mind, that's very eerily similar to, let's, uh, let's just say somebody put an insurance policy on 9-11 and then something happened, right? It's just these things are so cyclical. And once you, once you see it, you're on to it. Well, and it's, it's not only that, but it's always the same demons who benefit and who face no accountability and the same project for a new American century ghouls that said, uh, uh, you know, we need a new Pearl Harbor in the United States. We're going to be able to put forward our expansionist ideas and our, our empirical aims. And then lo and behold, it happened. Well, those same people are all wrapped up in, in at least Operation Warp Speed and mm -hmm. the rollout yeah. uh, of the mRNA gene therapy. And the, yeah, and in so many instances, uh, especially the further up the, I get the oligarchy you go, the money never leaves the room. Right. Sometimes, you know, sometimes people put some of it in their pocket, but they're not really leaving the room. Some gets added to it. Some gets taken away from it. But it's all the same people enriching each other, uh, yep. largely uh, at the expense of us, although sometimes they do fight with each other. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, they do fight with each other, just like, you know, wrestlers will quarrel with each other, then go backstage and have a beer together. You know, it's all it's all it's all it's all a stage, man. So, uh, hey, before we get into some of the astonished stuff, um, just another quick question I want to ask you about the, uh, the the whole capital situation. So we talked a little bit about Trump and that bill. What do you I mean, because I, I have some theories and a lot of people have theories. What do you think Trump do you think Trump had kind of foreknowledge about this? Do you think he was kind of complicit in getting this thing set up, knowing that there was going to be this outcome, this domestic terrorism polarization? Or do you think that. It was completely out of out of his hands. What, what's your take on that? I, I think Trump has been a useful idiot and it, to a lot of degrees. And I think that he has been a willing participant in effectively carrying out the aims of the deep state and others. The the Republican Party as a party got everything they've ever wanted in previous presidents and all of the candidates out of Donald Trump, the deep state certainly got more than they could have ever bargained for. I think out of Donald Trump, the relocation of the capital of is, or the embassy at the capital of Israel, you know, the, the, uh, the Trump Heights as a neighborhood in the Golan Heights, which technically not a part of Israel. Um, I think it's in Lebanon, 
or at least one point. Anyway, um, you know, 40%, Kyle, of all money in existence that the United States has ever created, ever printed, printed in 2020, 40% of it, 63% of it, it from August of 2019 to today, although that number is going up. Right. It, the the lockdowns operation warp speed none of this i don't think could have been possible under hillary clinton i think that as much as everyone thought it was her turn um that that one clinton was enough that the dynasty is able to operate more and more effectively out of the limelight than they are in that the the position of power of president or perceived power uh, as it is um is more of an ego stroke because every president i think very early on as bill hicks said you know gets taken into that other room and gets shown the video of the kennedy assassin from an angle that nobody's ever seen before uh, and that sort of and i think that happens way before you know they actually get elected Right. But I shout out to Bill Hicks because he's a legend. <laughs> yeah, he is. Um, but I mean, so it, you know, it, it's just Jesus, man. I, I'm sorry. I got off on Bill Hicks and now I lost my original <laughs> train of thought. I apologize. Hey, apologize. nothing wrong with bringing, like, nothing wrong with bringing Bill Hicks into the equation. He's a, like you said, he's a total legend. You know, it's one of those things, you know, like truth in, in that in that comedy style. Right. You know, very similar to like what Sam Tripoli does, right? You you wrap it in a in a comedic um, mindset, and you can get across to, to other people that maybe normally wouldn't have wouldn't have, have have thought about it this way. But you wrap it in a in a comedic bow, and it makes people laugh, and it also makes people think. I think that's a that's a double whammy right there. No, it is, and uh, I'm so appreciative of of decent comedians these days because boy ha has there been a concentrated effort to kill comedy over the last decade or so and yeah. the the way that the woke nonsense has crept into it and it's not even you go to some comedy clubs man it's people telling you all about their mental illness which I get has a long-standing tradition in comedy, but not in the way that it's being delivered now. I swear I was watching Kill Tony a couple of weeks ago, and it was someone who went up there was basically like, I'm trying to kill myself. And that was the, the those were the jokes. It was you know, a minute of suicide jokes. But really, that's what you're doing? That's yeah. your And then the rest of it is just lecturing at you because you may not appreciate this particular person's psychosis nor have you put it at the forefront of your consciousness all day every day and therefore you are now a bad person and the comedian is going to lecture you about it no, that's not what it's for yeah that's not what it's for it's for laughing it, it yeah. Is, yeah thinking but but not being scolded yeah i mean look at you know saturday night live i mean Look back to, you know, when Will Ferrell was doing like George W. Bush, that that shit was hilarious. Right. And and at that point, I was a I was a George Bush fanboy, but you still saw the humor in it. I mean, but when you see the impersonations they're doing of Trump and they're trying to do impersonations of Joe Rogan now, which are Pete Davidson, oh which God. is fucking awful. It's, it's just it's for terrible. one, he's 
for one, he's like like seven feet tall, and Joe and Joe Rogan's like five feet tall, so that's already off. And just the characterization is terrible, but but it's all controlled. It's not. They're just the jokes are not even. They're not jokes. They're just mean spirited digs with apparently people laughing in the background, which I'm I'm convinced is probably more of a laugh track now than anything else. And it's not, I mean, they're barely even digs. It's like they gave, they gave Pete Davidson headlines or, you know, bullet points out of a CNN or MSNBC segment on what happened to Joe Rogan or what Joe Rogan said or did. I mean, it was basically Pete Davidson went out and quoted Don Lemon for 45 seconds and walked off stage and the reason that Pete Davidson was playing Joe Rogan, they could have had a short guy that they put some fake muscles on and a bald cap on, got into it. But Pete Davidson is the most popular and the most beloved and the one that's going to influence the most people. And they're going to say, oh, well, Pete Davidson must think Joe Rogan is an idiot. And if Pete Davidson thinks that, then maybe I should think that, too. Yeah. Uh, and that's why he's the guy who gets marched out to do that. It looked like he didn't have his heart in it. No, no. It, it was looked, a very you know, I mean, you could at least sell it a little bit more. But you're right. He was just reading lines. He said, well, you know, I took horse horse paste. Uh-huh. Like it, it, you're right. It was just like reading the exact news article without any inflection or any like silly puns or something in there. Like you could have probably made that pretty funny. If if they if they if they tried, but they're not trying. No, no, they're trying to they're trying to be an information outlet for the state. They're trying to push a narrative. The the and this is something that I I appreciate. Uh, I appreciate comics who at least a handful of years ago, before this whole there there's a an alt-right streak in comedy you know nonsense before that became a headline or a meme and all that garbage it it there were at least pockets of comedians that were like yeah no i'm not gonna play that game and sammy's one of them for sure um but and those guys are the people that are now the biggest names in comedy are now throwing like the massive you know comedy festivals and now have the biggest podcasts and things like in terms of that whole genre it's not the boilerplate you know weak safe joke comedians that are getting any of the attention now and good because it's supposed to make you laugh it's not supposed to make you go oh gosh i need to go home and examine my privilege <laughs> right yeah if, if you're saying that after a comedy show you didn't you didn't see a comedy show you you, you saw a, a lecture where you had to, where people were forcing laughter it's uh it, it's embarrassing so um so, yeah, let's let's get into some of the um, Assange stuff. And I guess, you know, one thing, I guess, that ties into Trump a little bit. You know, I was listening to your um, episode you did with Charlie Robinson last year. and It was a little bit before the election happened. And, um, you know, Assange stuff was still still up in the air like it like it still is. And then you had basically said that, you know, there was a chance that Trump could pardon him. But you pre- it, it sounded like you put that at a very, very low likelihood. And of course, as we all know, on his way out, he didn't do that. He didn't do much of anything that a lot of people thought, thought would happen. Did that surprise you or were you just kind of like, yeah, another politician 
thought he would do this, no, but he didn't. No, because because no, I mean, I I knew he wasn't. But the thing is, when you're the national organizer for a, a group called Action for Assange, you you don't in that moment get to say, by the way, I have no hope that this is going to happen. Uh, so I be I do. I, there's there's always that little nugget of hope around the thick black wall of cynicism that you build uh, w when you go out and you're trying to talk to people about things like the First Amendment or, you know, what a free press is or what cyber activism is or what Second Amendment activism is, all of that shit. Uh, you have to have, you have to have a little bit of hope in there. You do. Yeah. But I I mean, I knew I knew as far back as um, February of 2020 that Trump through Rick Grinnell and Arthur Schwartz had established back channel communications with Ecuador to have Assange basically expelled. Uh, his citizens, his citizenship was illegally stripped from him before the UK police came in and broad daylight kidnapped him and human trafficked him to the Guantanamo Bay of, of UK, which is Belmarsh prison. Uh, we, we knew that there were a couple of people um, in particular, I can never remember the guy's name. It's an Italian last name. He was like head of counsel, legal counsel in the Trump team. Um, but this particular lawyer uh, was vehemently anti-Assange and was not going to allow anyone in Trump's ear to talk to him about it. Um, Trump, for his part, wasn't going to do it anyway, because, again, Trump is the person who was negotiating through uh, through Germany, um, but with the people who ended up being in charge of the Ecuadorian government while he was a candidate, he had Rick Grinnell out there running around for him, setting this up. Uh, there was a larger thing to go ahead and, and add Ecuador as a, you know, piece in the United States collection of countries in the global South that are, you know, puppet outlets for us. Um, Assange was a key piece of that. This is a guy who Donald Trump, you know, said, I think we should murder him extrajudiciously as far back as 2012. The whole I love the WikiLeaks. We need the WikiLeaks. Can't get enough of the WikiLeaks. Boy, where are the WikiLeaks? Yeah. Show me the WikiLeaks. Let's do all of that. Yeah, that's playing a bit for suckers who think that voting in a rigged system in an oligarchy presents a realistic and sustainable path towards a better future. That's right. what and that I, is. And I it, will say definitely, you know, me and my, my myself definitely got got caught up in that whole racket because exactly what you said. He was out there talking about the fake news and how the news wasn't talking about the important stuff. And Assange was one of the few people that was talking about the real stuff that was happening. But it's it's really unfortunate what you're saying. But it's it, then again, it, it is it is what it is when you get into politics that it was just a, a bait and switch. And he, and he obviously gained from the WikiLeaks dump, the Hillary Clinton stuff. He gained tremendously from that stuff. But at the same time, I'm sure there's more stuff about him that he probably wouldn't want to come out either. 
Well, yeah. It, so it, Donald Trump is in the WWE Hall of Fame. <laughs> yeah. Not as a wrestler either. Not as a wrestler, which means he's an actor. The, the guy has been in enough movies and has had enough spoken parts in enough movies to have earned a Screen Actors Guild card. I don't know if he ever applied for one and got it or not, but he's been in enough. He could do that. Donald Trump made his bones screwing over contractors and workers and then suing his way out of ever having to face any accountability for it. Donald Trump wound up as president being a vaccine salesman, real estate settlement broker for Benjamin Netanyahu and the Zionist state of Israel and gave the entire planet trillions of dollars of debt. That That's not... That's not someone who was fighting for, you know, me or you or really anyone that we're ever going to meet because they don't let us in rooms where the people who are powerful enough to have benefited from the presidency of Donald Trump hang out. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's you know, and, and like I said, you know, I, I got I got suckered into it. I think a lot of people did, but it's like, you know, it's when you get burned by it, I think it's I think it's good to to go through getting burned by that stuff. Right. Because then I think there's no way, just like life, there's no way to learn unless you make some mistakes along the way. And I think, you know, thinking that trusting that this system that somebody was out there fighting for us was easier, a path to follow than thinking that they're all corrupt, you know? So, but Hey, you know, burned and I'm not going to make that same mistake again. So, um, so with, with the, the activism that you, you do for Assange, how, how did that, how did that come about? When did you when did you get started with that that movement? So uh, I had been I had been a supporter of uh, and you know the vocal about the WikiLeaks releases and Julian Assange and his persecution and all that. But it wasn't until he got trafficked out of the embassy uh, in April of 2019 where I became significantly more active. There was an online series called Unity for Jay that uh, while Julian was in the embassy uh, and certainly ramped up super heavy when he had gotten trafficked out of it, um, that was online that was, you know, basically like the single news source for what was going on. And they had had a lot of really cool people on there. That series came to a, a kind of an abrupt end in, I believe, June of 2019. So a guy named Andrew Zygman hit me up and a couple other people up and said, hey, look, there's a big gap in information about what's happening to arguably the most important journalist and publisher in our lifetime. Uh, the man is in prison. He's not being allowed to see his family. Um, he's not being allowed access to a legal team. What the hell we, you know, let's make some noise about it. I had a fairly new show. My, my show was less than a year old the, uh, on the YouTubes at that. Uh, and, and so it was, I was like, well, fuck it. Yeah. Because not only do I need you to, not only do I already talk about this, not only do we need to get it out, but, uh, I have a particular, 
life experience and interview style and, and a, a way to get people to 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 answer questions that a lot of people don't and so when you're talking to investigative journalists and whistleblowers and people who are really involved in this thing that to the point to where everyone's targeted and tracked and everyone has to be careful about what they're saying it it helps to have a a background that is extra legal in a lot of areas um, so that you don't fuck up and, and accidentally get somebody to say some stuff that's going to get a, a you know, um, black ops hit team sent to their door. Right, right. So, um, so do you, do you travel across the country? Kind of what is the, what is the current, current state of the, like, like what you have, what you, you and your team have been doing? So uh, we because we started in 2019, um, the first actual events that we threw outside of, you know, so some one to, to 10 man sign holdings and sign hanging things were during the first week of Julian Assange's extradition hearing, which is February 2020. Uh, we went to Washington, D.C. for that. Uh, we had some more regional actions between then and September. Then in September, we went back uh, this, a couple people for almost a month. Uh, most of us anywhere from like a week and a half to two weeks throughout. But that was during the witness portion of Julian Assange's hearing. That broke me. We were doing live court coverage uh, wow. from because it started at 10 a.m. in the UK, there was nobody. I mean, you okay? Live court coverage is a little bit of a, uh, a an overstatement. Nobody was allowed to broadcast this hearing. Nobody, nobody. There was a live video feed at both hearings for journalists who could observe, and then they could go and write about it, or they could live tweet what they were seeing, but they couldn't broadcast the video. It, hmm. it could not be shown most important press freedom trial in our lifetimes, perhaps in history, and nobody gets to see it by order of the court. So that was us. So we uh, we were taking all of the live tweets from a, a number of different journalists who had video feed. And then a number of those journalists, when there was a recess in court or lunch or they were done for the day, would come onto the live stream and, and fill us in on what they've been observing because it's hard to get that, you know, two dimensionally. Uh, so we were doing that. It was from 5 a.m. Um, for about six, seven hours uh, when I got back to California from D.C. after about 10 days because I had to do this thing while I was a wildfire evacuee um that was a fun month uh, i was doing I, in the middle of a live stream i get a notification on my phone that says hey there's a wildfire a mile and a half away from your house pack up and get out buddy so wow. that happened i had the the whole like months worth of events planned and all that kind of stuff so i uh, came to actually where i am right now um for about 10 days and uh then went down it flew out blah blah anyway um when I got back to California, the UK court time is, is two o'clock in the morning, my friend, oh, two o'clock. Oh so about one 30, I was rolling out of bed, throwing coffee at me doing 
court coverage of some of the most traumatic and wild shit imaginable in this case, witness testimony, then going to work as a carpenter for seven or eight hours, then coming back and doing a couple hours of recap of all of this, plus the other shows that I do, plus interviews about it. It was a month of that, bro. It was, it was intense. Um, but after that, the action started picking up. We didn't just the whole time there's lockdown. Well, not in February, but but after the first, you know, first one, there's a lot. We're doing events the whole time. We're traveling. We're on planes. I've been to more super spreader events that, than I can count <laughs> at this point. No COVID. No, yeah. COVID. I had I'm convinced I had it in November of 2019, laid my whole family out for a while. It, they told, tried to tell my nine-year-old kid that he had the mystery vaping illness. Remember that? The, Remember mystery, that vaping the mystery vaping illness? illness? Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. Late fall, uh, like late spring to like midwinter of 2019, there was a mystery vaping illness that was giving people like crunchy lung and all of the other symptoms that are now recognized as COVID with the exception being like the loss of smell. Right. Right. But every, you know, which not everybody experiences with COVID. Um, and, but that's, and but I, it's funny. Nobody but it's funny to your point. Like, you know, same with myself. I, I hang out with my friends and family and stuff all the time, every week since this thing happened and 90% of us are not vaccinated and we're all, we're all fine. I, I, it, but if, but if you, but if you say that you sound like an asshole because it sounds like you're trying yeah. to harm people, but, 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 but you're not, you're just doing the exact same thing. We've always said, nobody cared about this during flu season in the past. Nobody ever worried about getting anybody sick ever in the past for, for anything. But all of a sudden now it, it's so, it's so polarized and it's, it, it's, it's hilarious. It, it really is. Uh, so, uh, we we've now done we've now had we started with like four people doing a live stream with this thing there are now a dozen or 14 individual city action forests on chapters uh in the u.s there's a handful abroad um people are doing actions every other week in a number of cities um we uh we yeah i mean We've had remarkably well attended events in DC and LA. Um, the I, the New York City for Assange group, um, which isn't us, but has been doing great work, has been able to bring in people like Roger Waters, shit like that. Um, it, I mean, the the energy it ebbs and flows. Um, but when it's hitting, it's really hitting, and I think that. I think that we've done a significant amount of work to help educate people over the last year and a half, two years, because I, I know from I know from looking at the online support and looking at the real time attendance of events that we've made a significant impact because people who were critical of not just Julian Assange and WikiLeaks, everything that happened, repeating false narratives have flip the script uh in even just the last year that's awesome that that's awesome yeah you guys are doing you guys are doing great work i mean it's a very it's an important cause and, and like you said like someone like myself i i i knew very little ab about about this about about who he was and um because you, you it's just 
it's not talked about in the context that you guys talk talk about it in right the the media spin on his whole is a whole lot different than what you guys are doing um so i, I want to ask you two two questions for for one um actually someone here in the in the chat he's in the uh ny assange group that's awesome um so yeah comment in the chat i want your take on this um he's saying that he doesn't particularly like the assange defense team i guess what is your thought about with with all the hours you've been pouring over the, the court cases and the doctors all this stuff what do you think about his defense team the approach that they're they're taking etc whoa did i drop out no no you're good it's got something all okay okay it's got something super crunchy in my ears so the the legal team or the the group Assange defense because there's two things one's a, a like an activist organization there's a legal team I've got see so here's the thing man I'm not a lawyer I'm not all of my quibbles about the defense are armchair observational quibbles and I'm not an expert on the UK criminal justice system I've had a really thorough crash course but there's still stuff that i'm learning you know every time there's uh, a new instance in the case i i spent about uh, several hours over the last couple of weeks learning about what the next step in the appeal process is and like how many different directions that could go and how weird uk magistrate court high court supreme court all these things it so um so I don't even know if my my complaints about the legal team are rooted in reality because I don't know if they apply to that legal system. I will say this. There are lawyers are shady, Ben, and lawyers are human and lawyers are subject to the exact same pressures and faults that anybody else is. And there are a couple of people that are in the sphere of that legal team that have way too close a tie to George and Amal Clooney and all of the, the you know, CIA gremlins that are involved in the Clooney Foundation and his movies and projects and sphere and things like that. So it's it sucks, dude, because if you're going to if you launch the website that says we're going to show you what your government and corporations don't want you to see you're gonna piss off everybody you know what i mean that's mm -hmm. gonna it's gonna ruffle a, a feather or three so you've got to expect going in i have a limited amount of reach in terms of how far i can trust anybody anybody and the thing that sucks is that in order to stay sane in order to keep going you have to trust somebody to a degree if you're going to run an outlet like that if you're going to try and create realistically a media empire like that you have to be able to trust at least one if not two or three other people and one of those people is probably going to fuck you over. And you right. know that too. But you do it anyway because the truth fucking matters. Yeah. Yeah. 
sometimes you have to make these little, maybe it's too hard to say deals with the devil, but you have to work and associate with people that are on, on some of these fringes just out of necessity a, a lot of times, right? To, to get things out there, to use different resources, et, et cetera. Um, now, what's the current status of, of his case? Are they still going through the extradition hearing now? So in on January 4th, uh, District Magistrate Vanessa Baretzer ruled against extraditing Julian to the U.S., citing his, his mental stability or his mental state, um, the, the fact that he had suicidal ideation, that he was intelligent enough to find a way to make it happen if he was going to be extradited. There were a couple of other points that they raised about the conditions of U.S. prisons, which is hilarious because the whole argument during the trial was compared to the shithole that Belmarsh is, ADX Florence is a veritable paradise. And they went into a whole spiel about like, do you have color TVs and arts and crafts and why he can he can draw at his desk in his seven by 12 cell, you know, it's like that, that kind right. of so um on terms of mental health and the prison conditions, extradition was denied. The U.S., of course, appealed because of the COVID thing that gets dragged out. The appeal, the initial appeal happened back in uh, back in May. The U.S. lost on a number of counts on their appeal. Um, so they appealed that appeal. They have now won back the points that they lost. They just had those hearings on um, October 27th and 28th. The, uh, so less than a month ago. Um, the judges have to deliberate. They haven't come back with a decision yet. And then, and then, uh, it could start all back over. It could go get kicked back down to the magistrate's court. It could get dropped he could get extradited there are a number of different things that could happen when they come back and deliver their decision but as of today that date hasn't been announced yet and the narrative not even the narrative but the actual case what the united states department of justice ha has presented to the court it's nothing it is a, a paper tiger that's based on the now recanted testimony of a convicted pedophile a sociopath a certified thief embezzler and forger that's who the u.s leaned on to be their star witness he recently came out to an icelandic newspaper because he's from iceland um and said yeah i made it all up i lied i lied in exchange for immunity I did. And when they gave me immunity, I went out and committed more crimes. That's what I did because I'm a sociopath. That's it's what he's admitting to the new. Still going. The case is still going. The case is still going. We know uh, as far back as as September of last year, but more recently because of a Yahoo News article that Mike Pompeo's CIA was trying yeah. to find legal loopholes 
to kidnap and murder Julian Assange while he was in the embassy, while he was under the protection of the Ecuadorian government. They were trying to find a way to assassinate him. We know that the CIA hired the security firm that was doing security at the Ecuadorian embassy, a company called UC Global. It was co-founded by by a guy named David Morales, who was approached at the Sands Casino, which is owned by Sheldon Adelson, who is Donald Trump's biggest donor, second biggest donor, something like that. Um, Approached by head of security, former CIA agent, uh, just happens to be working for Sheldon Adelson, just happens to be his former head of security, just happens to have a massive spy conference and security conference at the Sands Casino where they courted this guy, David Morales, and said, hey, I know you got a job. I know you do. It seems like a nice job. What I mean, guard the Ecuadorian embassy. Not a whole lot going on. I'm sure you've met a number of my friends. We have a job for you, too. And here's the best part. You don't even have to leave your job. In fact, all you have to do is stay at your job and hook up these cameras instead of the ones that you're currently running and stick this on the window. And, oh, by the way, put this here next to the women's bathroom. And, oh, is that the room where Julian meets with his attorneys? Yeah, we want audio and video up on that room, specifically requesting audio and video surveillance of Julian Assange's meetings with his attorneys, which they got. And they got via their own server to where UC Global, the security company for the Ecuadorian embassy, was piping live video footage of Julian Assange's meetings with his attorneys and meetings with his doctors and meetings with his partner and his children and everything else that would fall under privilege and confidentiality under any court in the goddamn world. Piped directly to the CIA. We know that. That's evidence in a Spanish court case right now. That guy, David Morales, he was arrested fleeing Spain on his way to Portugal while out on bail, awaiting to go back to court, guns in the car. Julian Assange still has an extradition case. God, that's that's wild. Um, (laughs) You know, the U.S. government aligning with pedophiles you know that's real surprising you know this this government fuckery too and these are the ones who are telling you know and these are the ones who are presiding over the case like the irony i don't think is lost on anybody especially when you talk about you know mike pompeo also saying well you know whoever leaked this information we're going to go after you too yeah 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 he's his non-denial denial is ruined by that phrase by yeah. that line where he casually dropped by the way they need to be prosecuted the fullest sent of law we got to get him in front of a court we got to get him in front of a judge they leaked classified information whoops yeah. whoops uh, and again this is mike pompeo the guy who stood there and said i was the director of the cia we lied we cheated we stole we had a whole training courses on it and then followed that up by saying it reminds me of the glory of the american experiment this is the next sentence we lied we cheated we stole we had whole training courses on it the very next sentence is it reminds me of the glory of the american experiment 
And if that doesn't tell you who runs your intelligence community and your government, I don't know what does, man. I don't know what does. God. So, um, so, so how is, um, how is, uh, I know, I know you, you personally know Assange's family, correct? Yeah, I had the opportunity to meet and spend a couple of weeks with his father and his half-brother, uh, John and Gabriel Shipton. Over the summer, they were here in the U.S. on a thing called the Home Run for Julian Tour. Uh, I was able to film a bunch of this. I have all the footage. I'm hoping to be able to fundraise enough to get the equipment to edit it. Um, uh, and it's cool, too, it is. But but yeah, I, I've... I've spent not a lot of time because it was only a couple of weeks but i've spent some good hours in, in conversation with both of them and it's it's intense it is John are, are, are they are, are they are they going around Go the ahead. world doing doing i'm sorry are, are they are they going around the world doing a lot of discussions and talking about this stuff too kind of like you've been doing here in america yeah, so this was the first U.S. home run for Julian Tour, but it was the the third annual. They started doing them in 2019 where they go to the countries that have been either trying to persecute or some of them trying to help Julian Assange, and they explain to them how their press freedom laws work. It's weird. It's weird. Like There were two Australians who had to crowdfund to come to the United States to explain to Americans how the First Amendment worked, because apparently a lot of people here forgot that's going to happen for a few minutes. The dogs are going <laughs> to go off. Oh, no um, problem. That's uh, uh, fine. So, um, so uh, anyway, they, um, yeah, that's going to be rough. Um, They've done this for a number of years. Gabriel Shipton is uh, is involved in film, the film industry in some aspect. In some aspect, he was a he had like producer credits on the Mad Max Fury Road movie. Something has a, his own production studio, production company has a documentary out about all of this called Ithaca right now, um, and it's pretty freaking cool. Um, so I would recommend anybody who's listening to this go look for that go find it ithaca with a k i t h a k a i k a something like that i can't um but it's a good film yeah i've seen i think almost all of it um there's a bobcat out here on the property oh no big uh, deal <laughs> um it so sometimes you gotta pop off the shot <laughs> so so as far as like the um the WikiLeaks company itself. I think, you know, everybody is pretty familiar with, with WikiLeaks and some of the documents and things that they've, they've put out over the years. What's, what, how does the company operate now with, with him being out of the, the picture? Is it still, do they still function as they, as they did before with that same mentality he did when he was at the helm or has, the, has that company, has that organization changed or shifted or, or what's the deal with the, with the company? It, it, I mean, they're still operating. You can still submit material to WikiLeaks if it meets the original criteria where it hasn't been published, it's in the public interest, and it vets. 
then they'll put it out they i mean they put out the uh original paperwork on the opcw leaks put out those original emails and memos that expose the fact that there was a, a false flag gas attack in duma uh which led to a whole bunch of bombs being dropped um and the further continuance of the war against uh all of the people who just would like a little bit of autonomy but no we need to run a gas pipeline so we've now got to turn your country into a ten thousand hole desert golf course um because that's how you know u.s foreign policy works of course um, <laughs> but uh but it is way 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 less impactful than it has been uh, and that's 100% due to the fact that Julian Assange is incarcerated. Um, not that Christian Framson isn't a fantastic editor and journalist, not that he's not a fearless publisher. Um, but when you take a guy like Julian Assange off the board, what the result is a massive chilling effect throughout the world of journalism and throughout the world uh, of whistleblowing and hacktivism because he was the guy you know in the ecuadorian embassy with uh the most cameras that's the most photographed building in london or it was while he was there had the most cameras on it the most spies on it the most eyes globally on it in that building julian assange published vault seven the hacking tools of the cia in 2017 he published that and it really pissed off the cia really pissed them off not the the not that the dnc emails didn't not that the podesta emails didn't i guarantee you neither the dnc emails or the podesta emails pissed the intelligence community and the global cabal of financial elite off more than Julian Assange and WikiLeaks disclosing the contents of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. Hmm. Oh my God. Because we never would have known, man. We never would have known. That was a secret deal. That was something that the predator class had negotiated all by themselves in the dark and WikiLeaks got it and they let us see it. And when we saw it, we went, oh, my God, they're really going to have international courts of corporations that have autonomy fully. And they can sue states and they can sue people. And they're the judges when they sue states and people. Wait a minute. That doesn't sound good. Yeah, does not. <laughs> does not at, at all. And. You know, you can only think about, you know, if he was if he was free and walking the streets right now, what kind of stuff they'd be able to pull about this whole scan that's been going on over the past two years. You, you know, I mean, I, I think that would be, you know, bombshell of all of all bombshells there if there were a lot of that that information leaked. I know there's some stuff leaked out there, right? The whole boy request about the Fauci stuff. But I know there's a whole lot more that could be mined under the right circumstances well and and look at i mean look at what happens to everyone when they try to stick their neck up and talk about it too right now i okay 
James O'Keefe and Project Veritas got targeted ostensibly over Ashley Biden's diary. But look at what they didn't publish that diary. They didn't. They turned it down. They said no. And yet still James O'Keefe House gets raided. It wasn't for information about Ashley Biden's diary. Right. Well, maybe. Oh, yeah. That was, yeah, a, that was a the secondary. Scapegoat. But yeah. they're there getting all the COVID stuff. They're there getting all the DHS stuff, all of the whistleblowers that Project Veritas has been talking to, exposing what's going on with the COVID-1984 bullshit. That's why the FBI raided his house. And that is a direct result of being able to get away with, at least up to this point, taking Julian Assange off the table. Yeah, and they have to. The attacks on journalists, real quickly, the attacks on journalists, since Julian Assange got arrested and the amount of journalists who have been charged for doing their job or have been, like, tried to be charged, not necessarily gone to court for, but charges were presented that are the exact same charges as Julian Assange's through the roof, man. They almost got Glenn Greenwald in Brazil for the exact same thing that they're one of Julian Assange's 18 charges, which is under the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act, which, by the way, the law that governs how we're supposed to behave on the Internet and what does and doesn't constitute things like, you know, treason. Um, Congress wrote and passed that because they watched the movie War Games and got freaked out. That's why the law that governs our behavior on the Internet exists. Congress watched War Games and got spooked. Hacked planet. Um, I'm, I'm not I'm, I'm not kidding, but Brazil has a similar law, and that's what they were trying to go after Greenwald with. The other 17 charges that Julian Assange has are under the Espionage Act of 1917. Julian Assange is a, an Australian citizen. He's not yeah. an American citizen. The United States is charging an Australian journalist and publisher with an outlet registered in iceland under the u.s espionage act julian assange doesn't have a outlet in the united states nor is he a citizen of the country so would you say that our espionage laws apply to him so is that one of the one of the reasons why the whole extradition is not gonna is not going to likely work because that really doesn't even apply. I'm sure there's more to it than that. I may be just boiling it down to simply, but in, in my mind, that seems like a, a, um, a, a losing proposition if that's what they're what they're trying to tra- charge him with. Well, well, here's the thing. So, the United States is in a position where they can only they're only allowed to appeal what the judge didn't agree with. And the judge has already agreed with everything else. She agreed with the entire legal argument, which, again, is based on the fabricated testimony of a pedophile thief, sociopath, forger. Um, oh, and and another paid FBI snitch, um, Sabu, that fat rat bastard who uh, who set up LulzSec and effectively helped the FBI entrap all of the, the hackers in that crew. Um and shout out to Jeremy Hammond, um, and I'm glad you're out of prison. 
Um, but that rat bastard uh, is providing the fabricated testimony that makes up the other portion of the witness part of the DOJ's case. The uh, the third of the case that was about Julian Assange's mental stability that's already been thrown out and discredited, uh, again, held up as the reason to not extradite him in the first place. The only, except for U.S. prison conditions, reason to not extradite him was that portion of their case. The last part of their case is based off of a book. I'm not kidding an unauthorized biography of Julian Assange and WikiLeaks written by two MI6 spooks from The Guardian, MI5 spooks from The Guardian, uh, Luke Harding and David Lee. Luke Harding, by the way, is the same guy that wrote a book called Collusion about Trump and Russia. And <laughs> when Aaron Mate asked him, I don't know if you've seen this. This is hilarious. No. This is when Aaron Mate was at The Real News. He has this guy on his show. So you wrote a book called Collusion about Donald Trump and the Russian government colluding. Um, cool. What was the collusion? And the dude got so mad that he rage quit the interview. <laughs> Threw down his earbuds and walked out. Couldn't answer the question about the title of his book, but this guy wrote the the definitive, truthful story about Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. This is a book where in it they gave as the the uh, chapter of the title, the second half of the password so that people could get the unredacted Cablegate files, which hadn't been published. The WikiLeaks had only released with some redactions and hadn't released the full archives of. Luke Harding and David Lee put it in that book. Pirate Bay and Cryptome figured it out. Pirate Bay and Cryptome have published for a decade almost the entire unredacted Cablegate files. One of them provided a witness statement for Julian Assange back in September, the guy from, I think, Cryptom. In it, he said, you know, it's weird because I published all of the unredacted material and no one from the United States government has even sent me a message. I haven't got as much as an email. They're going after him. Cited in this indictment, in this superseding indictment, referring specifically to the thing that we know that he had redacted, that he had called the State Department to tell them about. This is weird. There's a, the actual, the audio got released. It's a phone call with Jen Robinson, who's one of Julian Assange's attorneys, and, and Julian, and they're calling the State Department. This is the head of the release of the unredacted Cablegate files. They got some idiot on the phone. They're trying to explain this to him. No, I am actually Julian Assange. Yes, that Julian Assange. Yes, that WikiLeaks. Here's what's going on. You're about to get blindsided, and I need you to know that this ain't me. Here's right. what happened. You know, and they're trying to prep them for this. So that they can get out in front of it. Like actually doing the State Department a solid in this. Right, right. One of the yes, last to things cover they, they their own it. ass. Yeah, but like, you know, in, in State Department doesn't even deserve it, but they're doing they're doing the right thing in that situation. And uh, obviously, obviously it isn't isn't working out in their favor. 
No, no, no. And it, I, but then it, this right after this, of course, is when Hillary Clinton comes out and says, can't we just drone the guy? This is when everybody starts talking about with the release of Cablegate starts talking about extrajudiciously murdering a journalist and publisher because he released accurate information about what you do. That's essentially what this comes down to. Does the public have a right to know what their governments do in their names and what corporations do with the money they make from your wealth or your right. labor? Right. You, you know, and, and here we say, yeah, yeah, we do. But we're putting some caveats on it, apparently. Um, I it's again, man, this, this is hands down. Most important press freedom trial, certainly in our lifetimes. And it's basically being held in a vacuum. Um, so I, I do, I, you know, I'm, I'm glad that, that you do have me on to talk about this because it's, it, it's pretty vital. And I know that there's a world of conspiracy theories around Julian Assange. And I know that there's a world of conspiracy theories around WikiLeaks and all that, what they may and may not be and cult this and CIA that and 9-11 this and fucking, I get it, dude. I get it. I get it. I do. Um, who benefits by julian assange being a a spy or even wikileaks being a limited hangout which i would grant based on the fact that they can only publish what they get sent if you wanted to have an, an outlet where you could control the release of classified information you would try to get people to submit it to wikileaks i think think that they did a fantastic job with damn near every other corporate outlet in terms of whistleblower releases you know or things like that you know it's investigations exposés i think that most of those are targeted releases of information um but i think with something like wikileaks where you've got a a group collective like anonymous that it is operating next to not with but next to um what julian assange and wikileaks are trying to accomplish when you've got the best hackers on the internet that are tersely aligned with this organization because they'll release hacked material it, if it turns out that that organization is operating at the behest of the intelligence community we all know that and we all know that immediately and there are hijacked live streams there's a you know social media and this again this is back in the day when there was a little bit less control of the the flow of information at least on twitter where things like hacked materials were concerned, where things like who is actually a fed and, oh, here's the documents. Like doxing a motherfucker on Twitter, you got that a lot more 10, you know, eight, 10 years ago than you do now. I think, I think, think, or at least in terms of like doxing people who are actually 
working with intelligence in a capacity to set somebody else up that's working in an activist or hacktivist capacity. Right. And, you know, to your point about, you know, people talking about these conspiracies about who Assange is and what WikiLeaks is. And if it was all a psyop or whatever, for some reason, uh, it, it wouldn't make sense to, in my opinion, it wouldn't make sense to have it drawn out this long. If it, if it was that kind of psyop, you would like, you would take the guy out as an example. If you don't want these things, kind of things happen, you, you would take that kind of guy out like they've done with other activists in, in the past. It, it, it doesn't, in, in my mind, to, your, to what you said, you know, who does, who does it benefit by this continuing on this way if it really was that kind of a, of a psyop? So I'm, I'm with you there. That it, it just doesn't make, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to, to buy into some of that stuff. Well, and... I mean, it's just, there's, there's too many, again, there's too many moving parts when you're apparently associated with an anarchist collective of hackers. These are people who don't like feds, who don't like the inside of a jail cell, who like digging in and finding out who you really are and what you've been up to. And Julian Assange comes from that community. I mean, he, the, you know, original cypherpunk from back in the day, day. Um, it, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, it would be, nothing surprises me, really, you know, mm-hmm. but, but I would really want to see all of the information on that. And I would want to know where it came from. Right, And by that, I mean, I would want to know the individual who sourced it and put it together because I have spent, you know, not not on the inside of the WikiLeaks circle necessarily, even though I have spent some time with his, his father and brother. They're not part of the organization. They don't work for WikiLeaks. They're not secret keepers or anything like that. You know, it's but. Right outside of that circle, you know, it is about where we play. Um, It's brutal. It's it. And I don't like inside of the community. You couldn't get out of it. You couldn't get around it. You couldn't get away from it. Not not inside, uh, and a community is like vocally rabid as as hacktivists and anons. Oh my! Have you met these people? <laughs> no, no. To the OG anons, <laughs> fuck the worst, the absolute fucking worst little babies. <laughs> Stop kidding. I love you guys. I do. I do. I love you guys. Um, but I mean, no, it's it, 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 I, th- I think you understand what I'm trying to say. It would have been blown up so hugely and rapidly. You never would have seen the international support for WikiLeaks that they got, especially when MasterCard and Visa shut them down and stop processing their payments and then amazon stopped hosting their servers you know and this is something that i wish the the crypto community would remember or relearn learn about is that wikileaks was like one of if not the first 
big business to take Bitcoin as payment, to accept Bitcoin. Back in 2012, when MasterCard and Visa shut them down, they were like, fuck it, we'll, we'll do this crypto thing. They're pioneers in putting forth the concept of a functional crypto market. And I think that if the crypto community largely remembered that, you know, and, and kind of recognized them as, you know, OGs in that, in that whole scene, they could get love from an aspect of, or, you know, segment of society that has largely ignored all of this. Right. Yeah. That's, that's unfortunate. People don't, people have very short, uh, attention spans uh they, they don't remember things that happened you know a week ago more much less eight nine years ago and it's it's just kind of where our society is right now it's all in these you know 10 15 second little clips that's all the, that's all the attention span people have anything longer than that any you know shows that go on a few hours people just they, they can't they, they they tune out and it's when you don't understand history like you said you lose a lot of con uh, important context um and more additional details about what this company was and what they stood for and you know in, in my mind it, the biggest thing is is like like you've been saying they've been showing what the u.s has been doing across the world in in these wars and it it, it paints the u.s government and the military as the terrorist organizations and obviously that's a that's a a big no-no in these in these people in the u.s government they're such narcissists that they have to pin a blame on somebody, you know, for something that they are doing. You can't, when you call them out on it, they will have to put a scapegoat on somebody else. It's, it's the, it's the lone gunman theory kind of, you know, in reverse. Um, they, they know what he's saying is correct. They, they know without a shadow of a doubt what he's saying is, is correct, but they have to, they have to make him seem like, like the villain. So they aren't looked at as, as the villain. And I think, and I think uh, a contingent of people, uh, do you think a contingent of people are, are buying that he's not a good guy? Or, or what, do you, what, what is your take about how the average person views him? Oh, man, it is. So if anyone remembers, you know, like because he's, Julian Assange himself has been memory hold. You know, he's functionally been in the Gitmo of the UK for two and a half years um, before that. I mean, seven and a half years in the Ecuadorian embassy. The UN working group on arbitrary detention came out and said this man has been illegally and arbitrarily detained for seven and a half years. Another two and a half years in prison the, this is someone who's been doing the vast majority of his work as a publisher in arbitrary detention so when you do find somebody um who knows about it it is a polarized opinion and it is to a person fuck yeah free you know that dude deserves to be i can't believe what they're doing to that guy I can't you know yeah i die 100 behind you or he's the rapist uh, well, he he did, you know, and it's just whatever the, the MSM talking point is. And there's no cognizance. There's no that somebody else is doing their thinking. 
yeah. and it's evident in the the arguments they use because they've every argument you have about Julian Assange has already been debunked and been debunked and debunked and debunked and debunked. The all of the talking points are bullshit. All of them. That's what's so fucking crazy about all of this. The case is built on nothing. The testimony's been recanted. The mental health aspect of the already beat. The other part of it is a, you know, the intelligence community fan fiction book written by a couple of hacks. And, and that's the case. The work that Julian Assange has done, the things that we now know that we never would have known, that we absolutely had the right to know. 100% should galvanize the kind of mass public support that would shame even the United Kingdom into releasing a prisoner. Mm -hmm. um, but there's been a total media blackout for yeah. years. So, it, but it is, I mean, that was a very long answer to your question. But yeah, I mean, it's always polarized if they remember who Julian Assange is or if they're, you know, even aware of who, who Julian Assange is. Yeah. And, and a lot of it, I think, is 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 partially like a misdirect as well, because whenever you whenever you talk about the, the Clinton emails, whenever you talk about Pizzagate, that kind of stuff, you, people don't think about it in terms of WikiLeaks and, and, and Assange. They think about it's this crazy QAnon, crazy cult conspiracy thing. And they've done a masterful job, just like they did on, on, at the Capitol. They did a masterful job of creating these polarizing terms. So whenever you say the word, whenever you associate something with QAnon or, or Pizzagate or something like, oh, that's just a, a, an outrageous, far, far, far right, crazy lunatic fringe, you know, but you don't think, and, it, and it's caused people to get away from that main source of that data, the, the underlying concept of that information getting out there being, being very important. I'm sure there's a lot more to it than just all the Pizzagate types of, but, but you know what I mean? They, they just have to make it polarizing um, to, to, to shift focus away from the truth. Well, and also, I mean, also understand that, that the whole QAnon PSYOP is the second edge of the sword to the Russiagate psyop you you really don't get one without the other and as much as it activated the the shit libs and got them you know all full of brain worms and as you know i i guess active against trump even though they can really mount much of a resistance to him um as possibly deactivated the portion of the right that would have been going wait hang on trump did what he's the feds doing what are you benjamin Netanyahu? no no lockdown oh we're marching oh we're gonna yeah full kit for this one we're going out you know what i mean that so it, it that's i mean that was necessary but there's so much in the podesta emails and I'm doing a, an episode of my other podcast about this soon um, that we don't talk about the Awan brothers and the fact that like the money guys for the DNC and Debbie Wasserman Schultz and a number of the like personal IT guys, sorry, not money guy, IT guys had millions of dollars 
from Pakistan and had all of the data from the DNC and a lot of the people who worked for the DNC, like I, they were their personal IT crew. They, their whole like scandal just sort of disappeared. That vanished. And that's huge because those guys have uh, a ridiculous amount of sensitive information. And that came out in those, in those drops too. Like the whole reason we know who the Awan brothers are, uh, are, are because of WikiLeaks. Um, I mean, we're still, we're still finding out things from the Guantanamo files. We're still finding out things from Cablegate because the sheer amount of material that WikiLeaks has released over the last 15 years, I mean, it's over 10 million documents. Right. You know, yeah. there's, there's journalists who have made it their whole career to go through just Cablegate just where it applies to their country and they're now nine years into it and four books into it and hundreds of freedom of information requests into it you know and, and you just i mean you there's no way any one human can digest all of it and, and you what, what you mentioned I mean? about like yeah what you mentioned about like the guantanamo bay stuff i think that's Another thing that a lot of people have have forgotten about how how crazy everything was going on down there, because we're, we're talking still now is. about it still is. And we're talking about now how, um, you know, people on the right will say how, you know, oh, or not not just people on the right. A lot of people will say how the, the political prisoners from January 6th are being treated. Right. They're being put in solitary confinement. There's a story about gas attacks, all this kind of stuff. And like that's terrible mm -hmm. and shitty. But. Um, some people who are upset about that were also not upset about what happened on Guantanamo Bay, right? Because those were the those were the enemies, those were the bad guys, those were the terrorists. They deserved that. But I think, but I think you need to kind of pair those two things together. I mean, they're both shitty situations. Whatever, whatever the empire does abroad, it's going to do to its people at home. Eventually. Yes. Eventually the empire always comes back home. And when you're looking at, you know, Guantanamo Bay from the Abu Ghraib was what um, almost 20 years ago. Um, we found out in, I think 2000, well, we found out in 2009 because of or 10 because of WikiLeaks. Um, but when it happened, you know, the mid 2000s, that was, you know, 15, 17 years ago. People cheered on, the torture people cheered on the fact that the united states military and its intelligence services were violating and shredding the geneva convention we had an entire entertainment industry of torture porn on television the show 24 was like the most popular program there for a bit and all it did was glorify torturing bad guys so that we could get the right information out of them. Yeah. And, and if you fast forward now, you know, I, I do think that the last year, year and a half has really woken up a lot of people onto the, on the right to the fact that the police aren't your friend. Mm -hmm. The courts yeah. 
aren't your friends. The the what we have done, if you can recognize that the Iraq war was bullshit, if you can recognize that Afghanistan was a 20-year money laundering experiment, that all of the wars that Barack Obama got us into and all of those illegal just money pits are are bullshit then hopefully you can process the fact that empire is doing that at home too and it's doing it through the arms that are the state's monopoly on violence in, in the police and in you know the i mean look i put a tweet out about this earlier because we talked about it on the show but um you know the q shaman got almost four years three and a half years in jail today for obstructing whatever it was he was obstructing but you know almost four years in prison for that there's a guy named daniel baker who is doing 44 months in prison on a pre-crime charge for a facebook post daniel baker go look it up if you're listening right now go look up daniel baker um and 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 pre-crime because we have that that's a thing that exists in this country me and whitney webb done told you about it back in 2019 like you know not enough people listen then they got surprised but that happened so that happened right you know almost four years for a facebook post about an event that didn't even happen at the capitol in dc on january 6th it was event i think tallahassee florida 41 months for walking into the Capitol, wearing a goddamn buffalo wig, right? <laughs> the, you know, whatever that dude, I can't remember his real name, the Q goofball. He got 41 months for that. Ashley Babbitt is dead. And the cop who murdered her, I think they're all getting a bump in pay because as a result of this, the D.C. Capitol Police got an extra $2 billion added to their budget and they got branch offices the dc capitol police have branch offices in new york and los angeles now there is a federal police force in the capital and like the two largest cities in the united states that's what happened on january 6th yeah and oh and the domestic <laughs> terrorism shit oh of, of course and you know i definitely i gotta throw in my obligatory star wars connection my contractually obligated you know the the whole january 6th thing very similar to what happened before the emperor took over in star wars he basically made this proclamation people like listen these jedi people they're 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 trying to take over mind you there was no there was really no active threat of that at all i mean just like there was no active threat on january 6th i mean you're talking about right right wing people that have, you know, 10 million guns. You think if there was an insurrection, I think you would have you would have seen a little bit more than what really happened to, to actually call it an insurrection. But but it's the same exact thing. It, it's it's creating a false narrative to polarize against a certain contingent. And, you know, you, you see it in the movies, you see it in real life. Well, sorry, I was trying to do two things there. Oh, yeah. Um, well, you I mean, you're you're right. You are the. This is the, I mean, it's so analogous. It's, it's analogous with what's happening with Julian Assange. It's analogous to what we get in our media at all the time. What we are 
presented by the people that we think is our government. Um, that's it. That's the government we're allowed to see. Is how I usually like, like for the, you know, it'd be Congress, the president, um, you know, lobby, all of this shit, the media, uh, and the way that it's framed. That's that's the government you get to see. Yeah. Um, because there's a government you don't get to see. And right. so I've I've tried to hopefully drive home the point uh, on our show that, that the job of independent media is to make the people who don't want to be household names, household names like that's that's our gig. You know, we we get to combat the rewriting of real time. Yeah, <laughs> we get to do yeah. that. That's fun. That's fun. <laughs> Didn't know that was going to be a thing. <laughs> you know ha having yeah. to combat the rewriting of real time we were combating the rewriting of history that's essentially what you know independent or adversarial media has done throughout its existence but combating the rewriting of real time is, is wild it, it is and we can only do that if we make the people who don't want to be household names household names yeah it, this information has to get out there by any means necessary and you know definitely anybody out there who's listening you know spread the word about this kind of stuff. You know, we, we need more and more and more. And there have been a, a shit ton of, of new shows and things that have popped up over the past year. Or so like, like mine and a lot of other people talking about this stuff in various ways, shapes or forms, but this information just needs to get out there. A lot of us will probably get censored, banned, what have you at, at, cer at certain points, but the more people are out there um, preaching this kind of stuff, the better, because they can't, they can't get all of us. You know, so I definitely encourage anybody who's thinking about starting a show or, or whatever, you know, you know, go do it. There's there's no harm in it. And I think it's it, it's it's a great idea. Um, it, it, I want to go back to one thing you mentioned earlier, which which I just thought about. You mentioned that the, the U.S. government was taking tips from that movie War Games um, when the tip they really should have taken is the whole point of the the whole point of that movie, what the computer says. At the end, it says the only way to win is this nuclear war is not to play. I mean, th th it, that's so ironic what you said that they that they took lessons from that movie and they didn't take the most important lesson from it. Why would they do that? No, what they saw, what they saw was, wait, hang on. You mean anyone can just hack into the Pentagon? Anyone can just hack into the Department of Defense? Uh, oh, we better regulate the shit out of this. Oh, we better put a, a really tight leash on this and then jump forward to Donald Trump getting into the White House and saying Barack Obama overregulated the Internet. We've got to roll back these regulations when all Obama did was codify into law things that actually kept the Internet freer. But the dude that he appointed uh, to be the, at the FCC, um, he was put there to undo all of that. And he had his opportunity to do so with Donald Trump and did did so. Um, it, yeah, I mean, that's just that's the, the game. That's the game. I'm going to do this thing that, you know, after it's already been this way since the inception of the Internet. Right at the end of my term, my second term, I'm going to codify the way that we've always operated 
so that the person I have put to run the organization that implements it can undo it under the next guy. Yeah. Yep. Rinse, repeat, cycle. Yeah. It's yeah. uh yeah. Here's this unnecessary <laughs> empty gesture so that I can give the next guy something to rail against and, and call it over-regulation. Because over-regulation's bad. It is. It is. Every time. Over-regulation sucks. No argument there. <laughs> and then everything they try to do to fix the regulation of the over-regulation is just an additional layer of that over-regulation, but they pitch it as something, but they pitch it as something different and, you know, people buy into it. So it's just, it's the way of the world, way of the world. Create a brand new level of bureaucracy, a brand yeah. new layer to the bureaucratic onion to deal with the fact that we had already over-regulated this. So now we've got to regulate the regulators because there's, I don't know, more money to be made. <laughs> oh, I'm sure you idiots. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I mean, they, they got taxes for that. They got taxes for the internet. They got taxes for the climate, whatever else, whatever else they want. I'm sure. I'm sure there's more. They're going to tax you to drive to work. They're going to yeah. tax you to drive to work. Do you saw that, right? The per mile tax, gas tax oh, yeah. that went into that infrastructure bill. That's so that they want to disincentivize people from living outside of a city. They want all of us in major cities oh, yeah. as soon as possible. The whole smart city. Put us concept. all on the grid. Yep. Oh, yeah. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. Like what you said about the, that tax is, you know, I drive to work. And on the way there, I see 10 huge factories just, you know, spewing shit into the into the into the upper atmosphere. And they're worried about me, like in my Ford Ford Fusion. That's really what they're that's really what you love the about. point that Charlie Robinson makes. I love the point that Charlie Robinson makes when uh, he said that uh, when the the volcano that has like 85 consonants in it in iceland that erupted a couple years ago um that volcano's eruption single day put out more carbon than humanity in its entire history up to that point more carbon in the air from one volcanic eruption than all human activity throughout the entirety of human history and you want to tell me you want to tell me that the 97 Chevy pickup truck I have is going to, no, no. You're going to tell me that I can't have a wood burning stove. Gavin Newsom is telling me that I can't have a two stroke gas engine on a chainsaw that I need to have a lithium ion battery, or I need to plug it in with a cord to an electrical grill grid because you know obviously the oil that it takes to power the electric grid and the damage that's done to the environment that's inconsequential because the two-stroke gas engine that runs on maybe a half gallon every three hours four hours that thing that's the dangerous polluter it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. It's upside it's down. It's all, all they, they just do this shit and then blame it on us. It's tale, tales old as time. Well, Steve, I really, really appreciate your, your time coming on chatting about a lot of stuff. It's, it's been very honestly, very informative, very insightful to me. 
to know a lot more about this and it's still only really you know scratching the surface i still have a whole lot of you know those strings to tie when it comes to really understanding a lot of this stuff so we'll have to we'll have to do this do this again someday happy to do it man happy to do it um so where where can everybody absolutely uh where can everybody where can everybody find you where can they where can they support you where can they hear your content uh, the easiest and best place to find us is Rockfin, rockfin.com slash slow news day. It's where we're, you know, not suspended and where we have most of our, our content. We get a website, slownewsdayshow.com. Um, all of the social media and most of the donate links are at slow news day show. Um, the link tree is on the Twitter pinned in the, the buyer it's in the bio, um and that's got i think all of the other stuff um thanks to mark steves and alt media united we're on basically every podcast app um through them so if you listen uh, on basically any podcast you know host where you'll be able to find us there uh and i think that's it i do we have kick-ass t-shirts now are you guys doing shows probably every day? can't tell because my video shit um not every day i so when i'm here on the farm i've got limited amount of days that i can do shows because of the way that the internet works we're you know the limited amount of high streaming data um so there's only so much that we can do um but when i can i will always do a a morning show i love them they're so much fun every sunday we we do our show uh at uh one o'clock on the east coast 10 a.m on the west coast that's uh also found on aftermath.fm and on the aftermath channel on iHeartRadio. um I love those shows. I do. And I have a show called Memory Hold uh, that I've been able to put out a few episodes of so far and, and we'll be doing more soon. Um, and that's on the Rockfin, too. And I'm hoping to actually put that out as its own separate channel and all of that stuff here in a, a couple more weeks or episodes, whichever comes first. Awesome. Well, dude, yeah, I really appreciate uh, all the work you've been doing. Um, like, like you said, everybody go go check out all the different things Steve's been doing. You can, you know, if you, if you appreciate the stuff Steve does, you can support him financially too. I mean, there's, there's cash app options. There's go, go fund me. I mean, you, you, Steve, I will say, you know, a lot of people talk about, talk about stuff, but you know, I really respect you for putting yourself out there and actually going and doing and doing something about it, you know? So anybody, you know, people out there, people Thank like you. myself, like I, I really want to, to try to support people like you that are really, out there doing the work because um, talking about it is great, but or, organizing, you know, getting out in the public arena and, and doing stuff like you've been doing is, is awesome, dude. Well, thank you, man. I appreciate that. I really do. And, and yeah, I mean, we've, you know, there's the donate links and all that stuff available on the social media and whatnot, and usually in the description of videos. Um, it there's all kinds of ways to inform people and there's all kinds of ways that you can get involved in stuff and not everybody likes going out in public not everybody is you know i get nervous on the megaphone i hate the megaphone i shake like (laughs) a leaf with the megaphone i'm fine here i'm good hanging out you know campfire that kind of thing um but i'm not into it but i make myself do it 
yeah because it's that important um and, and i think as things like and i know we gotta get out but i know as things like free assembly become my endangered species i know as things like the fourth industrial revolution and the great reset roll forward it the it, humanity like actually being human and doing human things it is being threatened so if you're at all protective uh of you know you and what you are and what a human being is now is the time to to be active in some way shape or form and we're gonna have to have a, a whole separate conversation here soon about uh counter economics and, and parallel societies and opting out uh, of the technocratic panopticon. Uh, yeah, you know, for sure. Absolutely. Get off grid. <laughs> well, okay, this is this has been awesome. Thank you so much, Steve. Thank you, everybody who's been um, watching live on Rockfin and participating in the in the chat. Oh, yeah. I, I really, really appreciate really appreciate all the interaction. Um, so for for Steve and myself, Conspiracy Kyle, this has been another episode of Conspiracy in the Force. And may the force be with you.